Lamentations chapter number two. I should have told you to go there before I started speaking. It might take you a little while to get there. Lamentations is not a book of the Bible that we normally go to. It's right after Jeremiah. If you go to the Old Testament, you'll find Jeremiah, and then you'll find Lamentations. Lamentations is written by, by uh, the, weeping, the weeping prophet. And um, Jeremiah spent his ministry preaching to people I didn't want to hear. I'm so glad I can't say that. I praise the Lord I can't say that. I was just talking to someone. My wife and I had dinner with uh, another couple that's in the ministry. And we said one thing we love about our church family here. It just seems like they want to hear God's word. I said, boy, you preach or teach and they're taking notes and, and I praise the Lord for that. I couldn't imagine preaching to a group of people that constantly their hearts were hardened. Where they'd rather see you dead and see you put away than to hear the message that God had in your heart. But here Jeremiah is this prophet, this weeping prophet and the reason why he's weeping, he's weeping because he's preaching that God is going to judge the people. I want you to think about Israel. Israel is a nation that was in bondage, and God brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of bondage. He said this, I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God. And when people hear the name Israel, I want them to think about me. When they hear Jerusalem, they're going to think of a beautiful city. When they hear of the temple, they're going to think of a magnificent temple, and how you live and how you worship, it's going to bring attention and honor and glory to me. All the nations of the earth are going to know that I am the one true God because of you. And that was God's desire for Israel. And somewhere, somewhere in the middle there, Israel thought that it was better without God. Somewhere Israel thought that, that we can do this our way. We'd rather be like every other nation than God's chosen people and behave like that. And God sends them prophet after prophet warning them. He's warning them that you've got to turn from your sin. You've got to turn from your wicked way. And he sends them this prophet Jeremiah and they don't want to hear and Jeremiah is preaching and he's, he's prophesying that judgment is going to come. Babylon is going to come and, and overthrow this city. And, and Babylon is going to come. The king is going to come and tear down these walls and burn this temple. And all of the beauty and all the greatness that, that points others to, to God Almighty is going to be just torn down because of God's anger. In Lamentations chapter 2, it's... It's really a difficult chapter to deal with. And the reason why this chapter deals with the judgment of God. In the reality in society today, just like in society back in Jeremiah's day, they don't want to think of the anger of God or the judgment of God. Most people don't want to deal with this subject, and they want to speak about God's love. They want to speak about God's grace. They want to speak about God's mercy. And we speak of those things often. God also is a God of anger and a God of wrath. 
Next week and the week after, we're going to be looking at the tomb and the cross and, and what a wonderful picture of God's love. God so loved the world, the Bible says in John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When you think about that verse, you think about God's love, you think about God's mercy, you think about God's grace. But the reason that Jesus Christ had to come is because sin had to be satisfied before God. It had to be paid. God's wrath and God's judgment came upon his only son. He bore our sin in the one time in the Bible that God, uh, Jesus Christ said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The reason why is because God, he poured his judgment out because of your sin and my sin. God is a loving God. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. But he's also a God of wrath. And listen to me, church, and churches today across this country, I would say churches across this world, they want to deal with God's wrath. Brother Kruger, they want to just tell you God loves you. Live, live however you want to live. God loves you. But God is going to judge sin. A person cannot live whatever way they desire to live and God be okay with it. We want to preach about the goodness of God, but not his judgment. We want to talk about heaven, but we don't want to talk about hell. And Jesus talked about hell. Matter of fact, Jesus told a story of a real man that went to the place called hell and, and talked about him living in, uh, being in torments and wanting to, uh, to uh, uh, make sure his brethren didn't come to this place. God gives us an explanation in Lamentations chapter 2. He gives us an explanation about his anger. He tells us in this chapter why he dealt with ancient Israel the way that he did. And I want you to follow along with me. I want to read several verses. I'm going to be in several different passages of Scripture this morning. And if you're able to follow along, great. If not, just uh, listen closely as I read these passages of Scripture. I want you to follow along with me beginning in verse number 1 of Lamentations chapter 2. The Bible says, How hath the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger? And cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel. Remember not his footstool in the day of his anger. Look with me in verse number 12 of the same chapter. They say to their mothers, where is corn and wine? When they swooned as the wounded in the streets of the city, when their souls were poured out in the mother's bosom. In chapter number 2, uh, 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 verse number three, the Bible says, he hath cut off his, his fierce anger, all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he bar uh, burned against Jacob like a flaming fire, which devoureth round about him. I meant to read verse 12 of chapter one. Just flip a page back there if you would find verse 12. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. In chapter 2, verse number 6, And he hath violently taken away his tabernacle, as if, he, if it were of a garden. He hath destroyed his places of the assembly. The Lord hath caused the solemn feast and the Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion, and hath despised the indignation of his anger the king and the priest. 
Look at me in verse number 21 of the same chapter. The young and the old lie on the ground in the streets. My virgins and my young men are fallen by the sword. Thou hast slain them in the day of thine anger. Thou hast killed and not pitied. Thou hast called as in the solemn day my terrors round about, so that in the day of the Lord's anger none escaped nor remained. Those that I have swaddled and brought up hath mine enemy consumed. Follow along in verse 43 of the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 43. Thus covered with anger, thus covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain, thou hast not pitied. In verse number 66, persecute and destroy them in anger from under the heavens of the Lord. In Lamentations chapter 4 and verse number 11, the Bible says, The Lord hath accomplished his fury. He hath poured out his fierce anger and hath kindled a fire in Zion, and it hath devoured the foundations thereof. In verse number 16, the anger of the Lord hath divided them. He will no more regard them. They respected not the persons of the priest. They favored not the elders. Eleven times God talks about his anger here in Lamentations. In a very short passage of Scripture, just five chapters, 11 times he speaks about his anger. And when we, when we think of anger, we may think of someone that erupts or someone that can't control their emotions. Several weeks ago I preached on anger and the difference between God's anger and man's anger. God's anger is, is, is never out of control. God doesn't just simply overreact. God's anger is always measured. Man's anger, we overreact. How many of you ever overreacted in anger? Matter of fact, the more enraged you get, the more you get a sense of overreacting. God doesn't see a situation and overreact to that situation. God's anger is always measured. God's, man, God's anger is always out of his will, and God's anger is always what he purposes to do. So God doesn't get into something and, and send judgment and say, all right, I've sent that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to really show them. I'm going to just send more because I'm anger. God's judgment that he sends is always a measure. It's always on purpose because what God desires through his judgment is for his people to return back to him. He sends a judgment. He sends a punishment that's measured enough to get their attention to cause them to look back to God. So when we speak of God's anger, it's a righteous anger. It's a holy anger. What we see in Lamentations chapter 2 is that God wants us to see the explanation of his anger. I want you to see, please, please stay with me this morning. Because we can learn from God's anger. His anger isn't out of control. What we just read here, you would find a city, ancient city of Israel, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. Jerusalem, a beautiful place. The walls, a place of safety. The temple, a beautiful place. The sacrifices being made, a beautiful thing. The, the uh, people of Israel, a beautiful people. And all of that God has to deal with because they've rejected him. Have you ever thought about God's anger? Every so often, my wife, she was actually doing that up here to me today. I don't know if you saw it. She, uh, 
if I get a little upset or something, if something happened at home, she just gives me a little tug. Just a little, just a little tug. I know what that tug means. Cool it. Cool it before she has to give me one of those karate chops, you know, put me in line. No, what she's doing is warning me, you can't control your anger. Settle down. Now, I wasn't angry up here. She was just afraid I was going to say something I was going to regret. But she gives me that little tug. You on this side probably saw her. She looks like she's sweet with her arm around me, but really, she's pulling at my jacket. Settle down. That's how we are with our anger. But God wants us to understand his anger. I want to give you three things this morning that we can study here out of Lamentations chapter 2 when it comes to God's anger. I want you to write this down, please. What we deal with here in Lamentations chapter 2, we deal with the warning of God's anger. God's anger always comes with a warning. He doesn't just pour his judgment out or his anger out and you stand there and say, but I don't know what I've done wrong. Every so often in man's anger, we put expectations on people, but maybe we don't tell them what the expectations are, or we, don't, we, we in our anger put more upon someone than, they, they, than what should be put on someone. But God always warns about his anger. God warns that his anger and that, his, that uh, uh, he has anger and that his anger will be under, unleashed on certain things. God, through his word, he tells us what makes him angry. He tells us and he warns us that his anger will come. What he did through the prophets here in Jeremiah's days and the prophets of old here in, in ancient Israel, those prophets would come and, and God would send them and preach and proclaim that judgment is going to come. Aren't you so glad that God is a God that warns before he gets angry? He's wanting his people to see that I'm going to unleash certain things. I'm going to pour out my anger. But before I do, I first want you to know what causes me to be angry. And secondly, I want you to know that coming back and repenting will cause my anger to cease. He's fair and he's just. I think we don't talk about sin much in our country today. Nobody wants to talk about sin. At one time, I believe this, we gave sin a different name. We called it a bad habit. We called it a little white lie. But I'm afraid now, we don't even call sin anything. We just call it what we want to do. There's a time we try to justify sin. Right now, I believe in our country, we just are living in sin purposefully. We're living how we want to live. We're doing what we want to do. And I think and often right now the way we are in our country is probably the same way Israel was. And God through the Old Testament and through the prophets was warning Israel. I believe that we can take that same warning for our country and our nation today that God, God does not belittle sin. Even though man has come to the place where they've belittled sin. Even though man has come to the place where they don't even call sin, sin anymore. I mean you're judging someone if you call something sin. 
Mankind believes that I can live however I choose to live. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what the word of God says. It's not sin. It's my life and it's my choice. And I can choose to live however I choose to live. And although we belittle sin, I want you to know, my dear friend, that God has never one time made little of sin. Sin was sin back in the Old Testament, and sin is sin today. God judged sin in the Old Testament, and God is going to judge sin today. God judged sin in the Old Testament, and there's coming a day that all those that have not repented in the name of Jesus Christ and confessed him as their Lord and put their faith and trust in what he did upon the cross, that payment is going to come. God is a God of love, and God is a God of mercy, but God also is a God of judgment in a God of anger. It would do us good to see sin as sin. Deuteronomy chapter number 28, if you'll make your way there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Old Testament, if you'd find your place there in chapter number 28, hold your place in Lamentations, please. Deuteronomy chapter 28, if we behave the way I, that God says to behave, he's going to continue to bless. He brought his children out of Israel. He set commandments, he set laws. He told his children how he expected them to behave. He said this, if you'll continue to behave the way I tell you to, I'm going to bless you. But if you choose to live however you choose is right, my anger is going to be poured out upon you. Hear me this morning. We must get back to the truth that this is God's world. He created it. We are God's creation. He made us. God has a right to tell us how he wants us to live. This is his creation. Man has come to a place where man believes that I know what's best. Deuteronomy, if you have your place there in chapter 28 and verse number 9, the Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself. As he hath sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. He said, I want a people that are called mine, and I want you to establish yourselves upon my commandments, upon my ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, and the fruit of the body, and the fruit of the cattle, and the fruit of thy ground, and the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain into thy land and the season and to bless all the work of thine hand. Thou shalt lend unto many nations and thou shalt not borrow. He said, I'm going to bless you in such a way if you'll follow me that others will come to you for help. You won't have to go to anyone for help. You'll know that my, your help comes from the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know about God that he supplies for his children? And all God is asking is follow me. 
What God is asking is to do what I've told you to do. Live in such a way that when others see you, they know that there's a God in heaven. He goes on to say in the Lord, in verse number 13, the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. He said, I'll make you first. Thou shalt be above only and thou shalt not be beneath. If thou shalt hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. Thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day. To the right hand or the left. To go after another gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I commanded thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. You know what I find here? God giving his people a warning of his anger. He said, listen, I want to love you. God is looking for a people to bless. I like what the Bible says about, about uh, Abraham and blessing. I'm going to bless, bless thee. What he's saying is I'm searching for people to bless. I want to pour my blessing because in blessing it causes others to see who I am. God wants to give blessings to his children. But he says in order for that to happen, you've got to live by my commandments. And for some reason, some reason, I don't think it's any different today than it was for God's people back in the days of ancient Israel. For some reason, we have such a hard time re realizing and thinking that God is not going to bring his judgment upon us if we choose to live the way we want to live, but God is giving a very clear warning. He says, I want you to understand, I'm telling you what's going to happen if you continue to live the way you're living. Church, I, I fear for our country. Because our country is going downhill morally fast. And it's not the, the lost that concern me. It's the Christian. It's God's people. God's people are so immersed in sin. And God says, I want to bless you. We're looking to a nation, we're looking to lost people to behave like Christians and thinking if we can get the lost people to start thinking like saved people, maybe, maybe we can spare this nation. But listen to me, lost people are always going to behave like lost people. We need saved people to behave like saved people. We need child of God to behave like a child of God. I believe this, if God's people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, he can turn his wrath from this nation it's God's people that must come back to God it's God's people that must heed his warning it's God's people that must see that God is giving a great warning here to his people and that great warning is this you must turn from your wicked ways you must turn and, and worship me you must turn and stop living the way that you choose to live you must turn and begin to live the way that I've set out for you to live we want God's blessings, but we don't want to live by his commandments. 
We want God's prosperity that he wants to pour upon us, but we don't want to live by his principles. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter number two, if you'll turn there, you can leave your place in Deuteronomy, please, and go to Jeremiah. If you go back to Lamentations, Jeremiah is the book right before Lamentations, in chapter number two of this book. He brought Israel out of bondage into the promised land. I want you to see what Israel's done. Jeremiah chapter number two, if you'll follow along with me in verse number one of chapter number two. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. Saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember thee in the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine uh, espousals when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. The fruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Listen to me, verse number five, thus saith the Lord, with iniquity have your fathers found in me. What iniquity have your fathers found in me? That they were they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and have become vain. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land not to man possessed through and where no man dwelt. He said this, I brought you into a plenteous country. This is God speaking, to eat the fruit thereof of the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land, made my heritage an abomination. He said, you've seen my goodness. You know where you came from. Egypt, a picture of the world, a picture of us being being, being redeemed out of that world and in God, calling, uh, becoming our God. Listen to me, you've come out of bondage. What he's, what he's saying to us, even as New Testament Christians, you're, you're saved from Egypt. I brought you out of that. Listen, I know it's not popular preaching, but it's true. You and I, we deserve hell. No one taught us how to sin. It's in us. Think about heaven. I don't deserve the glories of heaven. I'm a wicked sinner just like you. But praise God, he saved us. He sent his son to die upon the cross to redeem us of our, uh, back to God, to forgive us of our sin. He paid that ultimate debt that you and I could not pay. Jesus Christ paid that debt. The things that we were in bondage to, we're no longer in bondage anymore, but we put ourselves back into that bondage. I love that old hymn, Victory in Jesus, because there is victory in Jesus Christ. It goes on to say in verse number nine, wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. What he's saying is I'm tearing up, I'm pleading, I'm begging you. 
I don't want to bring judgment. But God is a just God. God is a, is a holy God. Judgment must come. But he's saying, I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you. Get right with me so judgment doesn't have to come. For pass over the Isles of Chittim and see and send unto Kidar the, and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. What he says is this. The nations that serve a, 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 an unknown God, a nation that serves a, 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 a false God, they're still serving a false God, and they're doing nothing for them. And you serve the God of the universe, the creator of this universe. You serve the one and only almighty God, and you choose their gods. What have their gods done for you? I would ask you this morning, what has the world done for you? What has the pleasure of sin done for you? It just brings you more despair. I've never heard a person that served, lived their life serving the Lord on their deathbed said, I've wasted my time, I've wasted my efforts, I've wasted my life serving the Lord. It's all been in vain, but I've served over and over and over those that have lived their life, lived their life for the things of this world, lived their lives for the pleasure of this world, get to the end of their life and say, there's no fulfillment in this life. There's no joy that lasts in living for this world. There's no joy in living for sin. I've wasted my life. I've wasted my talents. I've wasted everything upon this earth. So often we'll see people that have sold their soul to the things of this earth. Say, I thought what I was chasing was going to satisfy. And on their deathbeds, next to that pile of pills or next to that, that uh, uh, way that they've taken their life, there's a note that simply says, I've wasted all. And God says, you've left me and my blessing for something that'll never profit. Something that'll never fulfill. He says, be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid, be very desolate, saith the Lord. Verse number 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He says, you've left what would nourish you forever for something broken. Why? Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they have made land, this land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. God says, I'm warning you. I'm warning you of my anger. Take this warning. God is warning his people of Babylon coming. In Jeremiah chapter 4, Jeremiah begins to prophesy. He says that that great city, that great king is going to come, and he's going to come against you, and he's going to destroy you. And the people failed to make God known. 
God desired his people to make him known. He desired his people to worship. He desired his people to live for him, to behave that made him known. And listen to me, that is no different for us today. We are not to live our life looking for satisfaction from this world. We are to live our life making God known. There's a lost in the dying world. Listen to me, our nation is not going in the right direction. And it's time that God's people stand up. And show the way to live. It's time that God's people, listen to me, it's time that the men of God stand up and be men of God in their homes. It's time that the women of God stand up and be the the woman in their home that God desires for you to be. It's time that Christian parents stand up and raise strong Christian young people to serve the Lord with all of their life. It's time that the church... Wake up and stand up and not see that what we're supposed to do is get involved in the the things of this world, but but to free ourselves of those things and live for God and let God be seen in us. Listen to me, Monclova Road Baptist Church ought to be a church where when everyone passes by this place, they say, that is the place where the people worship the one and true God. That is the place where the people behave like God's children. That is the place where no matter what comes their way, they worship God. I want the God of that place. And that's what God desires out of his people. That's what God desires out of your marriage. You ought to be that place that on the street that you live upon where all the people around say, now that is the place where God is seen. Those are the children that live in that home where God is seen. That marriage, that husband and wife is an example that I've never seen before. I want their God. The way they live the way they serve, the way they behave. Not only does God give us a warning, let me give you number two, and I'll hurry with these. My first point was the longest. Lamentations chapter two. We not only see the anger that God warns, we also see the witness of his anger. I don't have time to read all of these 10 verses. I want you to read these at your leisure, but I want you to see the Lord in verse number 10. The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughters of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates were sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her kings and her princes are among the Gentiles. They've been taken away. All the things that made this place a glorious place, God has removed. Witness of his anger. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. What he says is there is no more law in the land. It's anarchy. Sound familiar? Do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. He said her prophets or also find no vision from the Lord. You know what they say? They can't hear from God. They can't hear from God anymore. God help us never get to a place where we stop hearing from him. God help our hearts to never get so cold that we stop hearing from him. God help us not to get so steeped in our sin and so defiled by this sin that God has saved us from that when he wants to speak to us, we stop listening. 
God, help the one right now that is involved in sin, involved and entrenched in sin, where you come to church and you play church, or you, you pretend that your life is something different than it is. You put a wall up. All those around think that you're living a life, but inside, you know what that sin is. God says, God, help you. The witnesses of his anger are going to be against you. God can't hear. People don't hear from God any longer. The elders and the daughters of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. What, they, what he's saying there is they just can't believe. Shame. Shame has come upon them. And God gives us a witness of his wrath. Listen, we want God to bless but how can he bless our nation if, if we're not willing to be obedient? How can he bless our lives if we're not willing to be obedient? How can he bless our homes if we're not willing to be obedient? How can God bless our children if we aren't willing to make a stand or take a stand for the Lord in our lives and take a stand for our Lord in our homes and show them the way of the Lord? Sometimes, parents, I think we get so bogged down in sin, so mixed up with this world that the example that we're giving our children Children isn't the example that God wants us to give. You know, I want to handle things correctly in life. When someone hurts me, I want to handle it correctly. Because my children are watching. When things don't go the way I want them to go, I want to be careful what I give my children. When I go through a trial or I go through a burden, I want to be careful the example I give my children. I want my children to say that through it all, no matter what has happened in our home, bless God, my parents have lived for Him. Praise God, my, my parents have raised us in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Listen to me, parents, just taking your children to church is not enough. You've got to live it at home. You've got to make wise decisions at home. Your children ought to see that, yes, we're two human beings that have two different backgrounds, but God has brought us together, and through our marriage, through this covenant, we're going to show you the closest thing to heaven that you'll ever see upon this earth. Our children need to see this because we see the witness of his anger. Next I want you to see, and I'm done. I want you to see the weeping of his anger. God warns us of his anger. There's a witness of his anger, and there's a weeping of the anger of God. Have you ever thought about God's weeping? I'm reminded of Jesus as he stood out. I'm looking forward to we're going to be in Israel later this year, and we're going to look at the place where Jesus looked out on Jerusalem, and he wept and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. I want you to see here in Lamentations chapter number 2. Look with me in verse number 11. Mine eyes do fall with tears. This is God. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. The children say to their mothers, where is corn and wine? When they swooned as the wounded in the streets of the city where their souls was poured out into their mother's bosom. Mothers are carrying away their little children and, and they're starving. Picture, if you would, please. 
This place is desolate now. I think there's nothing more beautiful than a mother and her little child. I love seeing that. I was in Juarez, Mexico several years ago. I was at a place where they built their little village or whatever you may call it, their little community, out of huts and cardboard. And it was being built upon an old uh, dump site. Everything was just trash heaps. And they brought in and built, began to build housing there. The nearest electric pole would be wires, I mean, by the hundreds, stealing uh, uh, electric from the electric pole, running through just on the ground, covered with dirt, up into a little hut, literally made out of pallets and cardboard that covered it, and they'd have one light bulb inside of that. Trash everywhere. We were there and handing out Spanish John and Romans, handing out invitations to a church service. We were planning on starting a church in that area. And I noticed a little girl pushing her baby brother in a stroller that had only three wheels. Now, this wasn't smooth ground. I mean, she was pushing it over things, and her little, little baby brother was there, just a young girl pushing this beat-up old stroller with three wheels and coming up to a place with a trash area, picking up a bottle, not smelling it, not looking at it, but picking up a bottle that had some kind of liquid in it and just giving it to her little child because it had nothing. When I read here of Israel at that time, that picture that the Lord allowed me to see, I bring in my mind, here's a people. They're hungry and they're thirsty. And there's nothing for them. When God sees that, he weeps. See, sometimes in our anger, when somebody gets what they deserve, it makes us feel good. Somebody wronged us, and we, in our anger, got you back. We walk away, and we say, we showed you. Somebody cuts us off, Brother Kudra, on the road, and we cut them back off, and they end up in the ditch. We say, see you later. Serves you right. God says, when I see it, it brings tears to my eyes. He doesn't get satisfaction from seeing a child starving to death. You want to do something for your children, church? Serve the Lord. You want to do something for your children and for your grandchildren? Leave them a godly heritage. Mother watches her child die and God weeps. What thing, in verse number 13, what thing shall I take to the witness for thee? What thing shall I liken to thee, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I equal to thee, that I may comfort thee, O virgin daughter of Zion? For thy breach is great like the sea. Who can heal thee? God is saying, I don't want this to happen. I've warned you of my anger. There's witnesses of my anger, and there's tears in my anger. I don't want you to continue to live this way. I never wanted the walls of Jerusalem to fall down. I never wanted the temple to be destroyed. I never wanted the children to die of starvation. That wasn't my goal. What I wanted from the beginning was for you to take the warning and decide that you were going to live for me. I wanted you to take the warning and decide that you were going to build godly homes and godly children and godly marriage 
marriages in a godly church that when people saw you, they saw me in my greatness, but you, you thought something was better. And now judgment came. And God created mankind. And he said, I never created you to sin. But when you did, I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you, to redeem you back to me. There's no joy in God's judgment. There's tears. Would you turn back to him today? Would you turn back to him? Husband that's so close. You're living in sin. Wife, you're living in sin. Young person, you're living in sin. Would you see that it, God's ways are the ways that we ought to live? There's no pleasure. There's only judgment. 